0: And they're experiencing hard times. Uh, And I'll explain a bit more about that in a minute. Uh, So he's trying to encourage them, and he's trying to sort of reassure them to be strong in their faith. Now, I don't know whether any of you have read any of Max Lucado's books. Um, He's quite a prolific Christian writer. And if you've read the book uh, Six Hours, One Friday, then there in that book, Max Lucado tells the story of how he's and his boat survived a hurricane storm. And he survived that storm because previously he'd had some advice from an old, experienced seaman who said, look, when you take your boat out, always make sure you've got four anchors on board the boat. And he said, if you find yourself in a storm, then drop an anchor off each corner of the boat And then pray (laughs) that the anchors hold. And Max survived that storm, but he says he learnt an important lesson, that all of us need an anchor that will hold during the storms of life. And that anchor is our faith. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 19, it says this. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure, it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Of course, that's a reference to the fact that none of us, none of us can enter into the presence of God except through the saving grace of Jesus. Now, we used to sing the song, didn't we? We don't sing it so much these days, but this old hymn, Will Your Anchor Hold in the Storms of Life? When the clouds unfold their wings of strife, when the strong tides lift and the cables strain, will your anchor drift or firm remain and the chorus goes on we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure that's the boys brigade motto while the billows roll fastened to the rock which cannot move grounded firm and deep in the saviour's love the question is what have you put your faith in and where do we find faith that's strong enough to make it through the storms of life Well, in our Bible passage, Peter knew how important faith is, and he gives us a great picture of faith, a faith that we can anchor deep with, a faith that will hold us during those storms of life. So when Peter was writing his letter, times were changing for the early Christians. At first, the ruling Roman government largely ignored them, but as the numbers of these new Christians grew the government got more concerned. And so they imposed more constrictions, more attempts at oppression and suppression, um, and all sorts of things happened to make life uncomfortable for those Christians living in that part of the world. So here Peter is writing to a people who are finding it increasingly more difficult to live out their faith. In this country, I guess we have it all pretty easy, don't we? I mean, it's fairly easy being a Christian. But also, we have to live, find a way to live out our faith without compromise. I, we live at a time at the moment, worrying times, aren't they? Living through a global pandemic of a killer disease, and we don't know how things are going to turn out. But Peter helps us gain some insight into how to live an authentic, Christ-centered faith in the midst of some pretty difficult times and incidentally if you want to read if you like seafaring stories then you can't do any better than looking up the acts chapter 27 there's a real blockbuster of an adventure story there where paul is being shipped on board a prison ship meant to be taken to rome but all sorts of things happen and you, you've got to read it when you've got your some spare time, Acts 27, go home and read the whole chapter. It's a real roller coaster, Indiana Jones style of uh, adventure. Anyway, that's a little bit of a digression. So the question is not if we have faith, because I mean, everyone has faith. Even an atheist has a faith. He has a faith that he believes that through his rational reasoning, he's removed the possibility of God. He has faith, I guess, in his intellectual ability Uh, But others have faith in their own personal abilities, their skills, uh, perhaps their connections, uh, friends and family. Everyone has faith to some extent. The question is, where is your faith anchored? Because sooner or later the storms of life will begin to blow and then the question becomes, will the anchor of faith hold? And Peter gives us three reasons why it's important to anchor our faith in Christ. The first one is that faith in Christ is imperishable. Well, how can that be? Well, look where faith in Christ is kept. It's kept in heaven. Jesus says that we are to put our treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy or the thieves steal them. Now, at home I have various garment bags for my suits and my jackets. Um, and they've got cedar rings on the hangers and anti-moth sachets around in the drawers because if I didn't do all that sooner or later the moths would fly in from outside and they'd start biting holes in everything destroy the suits and the jumpers in a very short time Uh, so we try and make them imperishable the moths would destroy them quickly if I didn't do all that there you are, eating away at the jumpers. As for cars, well, I guess modern cars, they don't tend to rust very much, do they? But I remember a time when, sooner or later, a car would develop rust. In fact, my first vehicles I ever owned were more filler than <laughs> metal. <laughs> um, my father, I remember him once, his first car, a rusty old A40, Austin A40, I don't know if you remember those. Took it to for its MOT, And the mechanic said, I don't think I can let you drive this home. He said, why not? And he lifted the passenger carpet up, and there was no floor. The rust of the floor came up with the carpet. We've been driving around in this. (laughs) Yes, so moths and rust will take hold of things in this world. But our faith is set upon the things of the world. Then our faith will soon perish. You think about it, countless kingdoms have come and fallen. Economies have been built and destroyed and nations have been established and vanished. And all that's left of some of those kingdoms are the ruins that you can see either in a museum or the crumbling remains of the kingdom where it once flourished. Only the kingdom of God has remained constant in the past 2,000 years. Our faith is to be set in in heaven, and not in the things of this world. The second point that Peter makes is our faith will be uncorrupted. Now I guess you've probably heard the phrase, um, absolute power corrupts absolutely. It's a statement which indicates our sinful nature. And history is full of leaders who start off with the best of intentions, don't they? But sooner or later, pride... Ego, other flaws get in the way. And if we place our faith in a leader, it's but a matter of time before the corruptible nature of the individual is revealed. I mean, we've seen it in our own politicians, seen it in uh, politicians from other countries. But Christ has no sin, and our faith is in the power of God. God has absolute power. It is uncorrupted. There's no pride or ego in the power of Christ. And in the scope of eternity, Jesus is the only person who has absolute power. But not only that, he's the only person for whom absolute power has not corrupted. Our faith can only be incorruptible when it's placed in Christ. And the third point that Peter makes is our faith in Christ is unfading. Now, I know a lot of people who are what I would call faddy people. They sort of jump onto the latest trend, the latest idea, and then about six months down the line, uh, they jump onto something else new. And to some extent, we all do it, don't we? Um, I guess if we need an example, just dig out your old photos, have a look at them, look at your hairstyles, Look at your clothes you wore. um, Look at the tone of the culture. How have things changed in the last 20 or 30 years? So we all do it to some extent. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the faith we have now will see us through the last days. It's a tested faith. Our faith must be anchored in the timeless nature of Christ. Peter found attested faith is valuable, revealing, and centered on love. It's valuable, and here Peter uses a great illustration point, the goldsmith. Now, a goldsmith would melt down the the gold until it becomes a liquid. All the impurities then rise to the surface, and the goldsmith either scrapes them off or pours them off allow the metal and then allows the metal to cool. He then goes back, repeats the whole process again and again until all the impurities have been taken out and you're left with pure gold. Peter says that our faith is like gold as it's tested. It will bring the impurities to the surface. And when the impurities are removed, our faith becomes more valuable. Incidentally, I looked up the price of a gold bullion bar. If you've got a spare 542,000 roughly, it changes by the day, of course, the price of gold. Uh, You can buy yourself a gold bullion bar. I don't have such (laughs) wealth to do that. So gold is the standard, isn't it, by which we define value. We say things like, um, well, it's worth its weight in gold, or he's the golden boy, or... This is the golden age. Our jewellery is made of gold. And in Peter's world and in ours, gold was considered one of the most valuable things in a person could have. And whilst gold is valuable, it's secondary to our faith. Because gold can perish, but our faith will endure. A faith in Jesus Christ will carry us through this life and even into the world to come. A faith in the death, burial and resurrection of God's only son is far more valuable than gold. It's something eternal, not something that can be destroyed. Peter mentioned it's also revealing. Now the goldsmith knew that he has pure gold when he can see his reflection in the metal. Our faith should reflect Jesus and reveal him to a world. And as we grow in Christ and as we learn more about him and his love, it's only through a life given to Christ that we will begin to see him as he really is. Our faith begins to reflect the deeper knowledge of Jesus. Our lives will begin to change. When you and I live differently because our faith is growing, those around us will see a difference. Quite literally, your life begins to reflect the image of Christ. And just as the goldsmith knew he had pure gold when he looked into the metal and could see his reflection, Jesus desires his reflection in our own lives. And that can only happen in a refined faith that has been tested. Peter mentioned that uh, faith is centred on our love for Christ. And he talks about how we love Christ even though we've not seen him. In the book of Hebrews, has the definition of faith there. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. So the essence of faith is, is that it does not require our sight or proof. Just because something is not seen, it doesn't mean to say it doesn't exist. I mean, if it did, then probably we'd all be brainless, because how many of you have seen your brain? But we all believe we've got a brain. Mine may not be working that much, but we've got a brain. (laughs) Peter says, The real faith is loving a Christ you have never seen, but still know exists. (laughs) Peter went mentioned also the prophets of the Old Testament. He said, the prophets of the Old Testament found that their faith in God was able to hold. God spoke to the prophets and told them that the Messiah was coming. He gave them a hope that the one who could deliver them was on his way. And Peter points out that true faith is only not only tied into the prophets, but it's the fulfilment of those prophecies because there's faith and suffering in the crucifixion of Jesus. Christianity is the only religion which cannot reinvent itself. All other religions are built out of a philosophy, thoughts. But Christianity is based on fact. Peter then talks of how the faith of the Old Testament and the Gospels is for the present days. Peter literally says this, angels desire to look into these things. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine angels looking down from heaven? They've seen what God did with the prophets. They've seen how Jesus fulfilled the prophecies with his birth, life, death and resurrection. And now they want to see what happens next. What is God going to do next? The angels are watching you and me to see what happens in the next chapter. How will our faith and God's great actions meet? Our time to live our faith is now. All of us have faith, but will your anchor of faith hold in the storms of life? Is your anchor of faith a true anchor? Is your faith built upon truth, the truth of scripture, Or is your faith tested? Do you know how valuable and revealing and full of love a faith in Christ is? Is your faith timeless? Or will the newest fad or the latest philosophy cause you to drift out to sea and to tie to another anchor? Only a faith in Christ is true, tested and timeless. It's not a question of if you have a faith... It's not a question of if the storms of life will come your way, for they surely will. The question is, will your anchor of faith hold through those storms? The time to anchor your hope and faith to Christ is now. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? Lord, we thank you that you are the God of the impossible. You can do anything. Lord, give us courage in our faith to trust in your ability and not our own. Teach us to see difficulties difficulties in our lives from your perspective. Help us to focus on you and your power. Help us not to fear but to trust you in those difficult situations. Help us not to be of little faith, but to instead to be of strong in our walk of faith, declaring your ability to fulfill your promises to us. So Lord, we pray that you will give us confidence to know that you will fight for us, each one of us, and win the battles in our lives. We acknowledge that you are mighty, you are powerful, you are righteous, and you are true. In you, Lord, we put our trust. Amen. We're going to sing again. Our last song is My Hope is Built on Nothing Less.
1: shall come with with trumpet.